We just stepped on their face with a hobnailed boot and broke their nose. One, two, three. Bullshit. Welcome to the Title Run Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Bethay, coming to you today from the North Pole Studios in a pre-Christmas podcast to talk to you about everybody's favorite topic, the college football playoff and why the selections by the committee suck. This is pretty much an annual tradition, so I will continue that tradition right here and explain to you the three reasons why people can never agree on the college football playoff rankings. If you're new to the show, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or any major podcasting platform. So the college football playoff rankings were released this weekend, and it just seems like every year people forget that we pretty much always hate the final rankings. And there's really only been two years in the entire seven-year existence of the college football playoff in which four playoff teams were pretty much unanimous, and that was in 2015 and 2019. Those were the only years in which you had four Power 5 conference champions with one loss and no undefeated group of five champs. So it made the math really clean and simple. But in a lot of years, you have conference champions from a Power 5 conference that have two losses, or you have a team that finishes with one loss out of a Power 5 conference that doesn't win their conference championship and is probably better than one of the two-loss teams. And it just gets really, really cloudy on which teams are the best. So what I wanted to address are three reasons that college football fans can't agree on the college football playoff rankings. Number one, we don't know the criteria. So the mandate that's been given out by the college football playoff committee is that they are trying to get the four best teams in. But what they have never defined for us is what best, and I'm doing air quotes here, actually means. So... Does best mean best record? Does it mean best resume? Does it mean best by the eyeball test? Does it mean best over the course of the entire year? Or does it mean who's playing the best by the end of the year? When you go by best record, you end up getting a team in like FSU in 2014, who was the defending national champion and was an undefeated ACC champ, but the ACC was severely down that year. FSU won a bunch of close games against bad teams, and when they got in the playoff, They got destroyed by Oregon, which surprised no one because everybody knew they weren't one of the four best teams in college football. Do you go by best resume? You know, a team that maybe has two losses but has played a superior schedule. That would be an example of someone like Auburn in 2017 who had a superior resume after beating two number one teams in Georgia and Alabama that year, but they had two losses. Now, they made it all the way up to number two in the college football rankings before Georgia beat them in the SEC championship and knocked them out. But that was a case where the committee said, hey, well, resume is more important than just record. Is it best by the eyeball test? Because that's essentially the criteria that's given to Bama, OSU, and Notre Dame just about every year. Or is it best over the entire course of the year where you ignore some hiccups because of their dominance? An example of that would be Notre Dame this year. Notre Dame has been very, very consistently good for the last nine weeks of the season. Beat Clemson, you know, a a battered Clemson team. And they get in after losing the conference championship because over the course of the year, they have been a good team. Or do you simply look at which team is playing the best at the end of the season? That's what happened with Ohio State in 2014 as they jumped from 6th to 4 in the final standings and got in and then went on to win the national championship. Does best mean the best Power 5 conference champion? It, it seems like it does unless you're Notre Dame, Bama, or Ohio State who are the only three teams to make it without actually winning a conference championship. So, we don't really know what best means. And so, in saying that, it really does seem like there's a moving target for making the college ball playoff. But when you look at it closely, in the seven years 
there's been a few criteria that have been very, very consistent. If you are a Power 5 conference champion with one or fewer losses, you get in. Only one team that meets that criteria has been left out, and that was Ohio State in 2018. But in the 2018 season, they had a 29-point loss to a Purdue team that ended up going 5-5. Five and five. And all of the other Power Conference champions did not have losses like that, so it was very, very easy to leave Ohio State out. But the point being, when you look at what it takes to get in, the committee has actually been pretty consistent. Win a Power 5 conference with one or few losses, and you will get in. The problem for a lot of people has been with the three schools that I said have been exceptions. Alabama, Notre Dame, and Ohio State. And this leads to the second beef that most college ball fans have with the college ball playoff rankings. We see favoritism towards certain programs. So it, it's just pretty clear that the criteria seem to be a little bit different for Alabama, Notre Dame, and OSU. Um, Notre Dame is basically the face of this because people complain about how Notre Dame doesn't have to play in a conference, doesn't have to play a conference championship game, and has made two college football playoffs and a BCS championship game, and how every time Notre Dame plays the elite teams in these big games, they get obliterated, which historically has been true. However, I will say this is one caveat. For those that complain that Notre Dame doesn't have a conference, the flip side is that they have to go undefeated to even be considered. So you look at what Notre Dame made in 2018. They had to go through their schedule, which included 10 Power 5 teams, three ranked teams, and go undefeated. So Notre Dame does typically play a 9 or 10 game Power 5 schedule with um, teams from the SEC, ACC, and Pac-12. And every now and then they'll throw in an SEC school. I think the last time, though, they played Vanderbilt. So, I mean, you know, that's not really that impressive. But I just say this. If you're going to complain about Notre Dame not playing in a conference and having to play a conference championship game, do at least remember that they have to go undefeated to be considered, at least in the past. Now, of course, this year Notre Dame joins their conference and becomes the first team to lose their conference championship game and still get in. So there's that. But for all of you that are going to complain about Notre Dame getting special treatment, um, what about Ohio State? OSU should not have gotten in the very first year of the college football playoff in 2014. They went into the conference championship game against Wisconsin ranked number six. Baylor was number five. Florida State was number four. And TCU was number three. Somehow, after obliterating Wisconsin in the conference championship game, they hop to the number four spot, knocking out both Baylor and TCU. Now, TCU, who was number three in those rankings, won their final game by 52 points. Now, the reason that was given that year was that Baylor and TCU did not play in a conference championship game. Therefore, there was not a clear-cut conference champion. They were declared co-champs. And Ohio State had the data point of a conference championship game. So, of course, the next year, the Big 12 rewrote the rules and added a conference championship game. But the problem for that is that that criteria hasn't been consistent because in 2016, Ohio State did not play in their conference championship game and were still added into the college football playoff as the number three seed where they played Clemson and got obliterated 31 to nothing. So, again... The issue is that because Ohio State won that championship in the first year, the committee felt justified in including them even when they shouldn't have been. And Ohio State, who has not won a playoff game in six years, is always considered a legitimate playoff contender, regardless of whether or not they actually should be. But you don't see the same outrage over Ohio State that you do over Notre Dame because Ohio State won that natty in 2014. And I've asked the same question about Oklahoma. Oklahoma's 0-4 in the playoff, 
and has only had one of those games that has even been close, why aren't people saying that they're overrated and don't deserve to get in like they say about Notre Dame? And while Alabama gets the benefit of the doubt, it's really hard to argue with Alabama ever being left out because everybody knows that Alabama is the premier program and arguably on the best run that college football has ever seen. So we just kind of accept Alabama's special treatment because we know, chances are, if they get in, they'll prove that they were worth the spot. And again, this goes back to what we said earlier. One of the frustrations is that we feel like these three schools get special treatment that other schools don't get. They can get in without winning their conference, while a school like UCF goes undefeated and can't get past number 12 in the 2017 college ball rankings, or past number 7 in 2018 when they beat the ACC runner-up Pitt by 31 points. And that leads to the third beef that college ball fans have with the college ball playoff. We want expansion. So you most commonly hear an 18 playoff discussed, and I'm a big proponent of a 16 playoff. I'll explain why a few minutes later. Six, not 16. Um, but what happens is that an 18 playoff guarantees a seat for every Power Five conference champion that's deserving and lets group of five teams have a seat at the table. You can get in a UCF. You can get in a Cincinnati or Coastal Carolina. And there's really no reason not to expand. However, I will add that expansion does come with some problems of its own. First of all, understand that when expansion happens to the college football playoff, which probably will happen at some point, be prepared to have multiple SEC teams make it, probably three in some years, and at least two in just about every year. For example, this year you would have Texas A&M, Florida, and Alabama all making the college football playoff. The second issue that occurs is if you're going to expand the playoff to eight teams, be prepared for the one seed to murder the eight seed in most years. So looking at this year's matchup, you would have Bama playing Cincinnati. And Cincinnati's a really good team. They have a great defense. But Bama is currently favored by 20 over Notre Dame. So what do you think the line would be for that Cincinnati game? That's not exactly going to promote the greatest television. Last year, you would have had LSU matching up with the Wisconsin team that actually got punked by OSU in the Big Ten championship game. Probably LSU favored by 20 points, and they probably win the game by 30 points. Going back a little further to 2018, you would have had Alabama matched up with UCF, which, let's be honest, that would have been a really fun game to see. But I think we all know that Bama would have been expected to win by at least double digits. Going back to 2016, you would have had Alabama playing a three-loss Wisconsin team that had just been obliterated by Ohio State. I swear it's like Groundhog Day sometimes when you look at these things. And then going all the way back to 2015, you would have had Clemson playing a two-loss Notre Dame team, which actually would have been a pretty good matchup. But since everybody thinks Notre Dame sucks, it's a game they probably would not have wanted to see. So again, there's a lot of years where you just don't get great matchups in that 1-8 game. Some years you do. And I think you just need to be prepared for the fact that a lot of those games are going to be blowouts. However, having said that, the 1-4 game is a blowout most years. Probably going to be a blowout again this year. So the counter-argument is, even though the 1-8 game is probably going to be a blowout, how is it any different than the way the playoff is in real life in most years? And at least you're giving those other teams a seat at the table to prove themselves. And maybe, who knows, in the occasional weird year, you get the upset. The other thing I have to point out is for those of you that want to expand the playoff, going with automatic bids for conference winners is a terrible idea. 
So I'm all about, you know, earning it on the field. And I do think conference championships should matter. But one of the problems with auto bids for conference championships is that it treats all conference championships as equal. And I'll just go ahead and be honest with you. Winning the Pac-12 this year is not equal to winning the SEC. Winning the ACC most years is not equal to winning the Big 12 or the Big 10. All conference championships are not equal because not all conferences have equal depth. So to treat all conference championships as equal to me is a mistake. And the other problem is that it creates these weird scenarios where you can reward a bad team or more likely a mediocre team for playing one good game. No better example of this than Pitt in 2018 who plays Clemson. Pitt goes into that game 7-5 and five to play Clemson. If Pitt pulls off a miracle and upsets Clemson like they had a couple of years prior, they would have been in the college football playoff as an 8-5 and five team, having been beaten by 31 points by UCF earlier in the season at home. So let's say you had a six-team playoff, and so you'd have Pitt in the college football playoff and UCF sitting there at number seven saying, why are they in? We beat the ACC champion by 31 points. So again, you cannot do auto bids because you can end up rewarding mediocre teams for one good game and ignoring the rest of the season. And in 2018, you have teams like Georgia and Michigan sitting there saying, hey, we only have two losses, not five, and our losses are both to top 15 teams. Why are we on the outside looking in? And for all the people that want to say, well, that's how they do it in college basketball, you earn your way in. The difference between college basketball is they're letting in 68 teams. So if there's an upset, you can still create an at-large bid to make sure that that really deserving team does still get in. Because anybody that tells me they want to see Pitt make it and get destroyed by Alabama, you are crazy. Or you're a Pitt fan. So it's possible that in an 18-playoff, you could still slide in one of those deserving losers of a conference championship game, like a Clemson in the scenario I gave. They could still go in as an at-large bid. But again, why are you rewarding a team like Pitt or maybe this year Oregon for being average all season and playing one good game? To me, that misses the spirit of the playoff, which is to get the best teams in the best matchups, whatever best means. So I've been writing about this since I was in college, but I've always favored a playoff format with six teams. That allows you, in theory, to get in every deserving Power 5 conference winner, possibly even a deserving team that did not win their conference or lost their conference championship, and in years where it's appropriate to slide in a deserving group of five team. So in this format, the one and two seeds would get a bye, and in the final college ball playoff rankings of every season to this point, the number one and two teams have been Power 5 conference champions with one or zero losses. So to put it very simply, you say, hey, get through your season undefeated or with one loss, and you have a great chance of getting that first round bye. And what it does is it avoids those first round massacre matchups in a lot of years. For example, in this year, you would have the 3-6 matchup between Ohio State and Oklahoma, a 4-5 matchup between Notre Dame and Texas A&M, and then Alabama would play the lowest-seeded team out of those winners, and Clemson would play the highest-seeded team out of those winners. An Ohio State-Notre Dame matchup and a Texas A&M-Oklahoma matchup are games that are going to be a lot more competitive than watching Alabama play Cincinnati. Now, I have to say an Ohio State-Oklahoma matchup would be really intriguing in an 18 playoff this year, and a Notre Dame-Texas A&M matchup would be really intriguing this year. But again, you can't say that every year. And the problem is that 1-8 matchup so many times is going to be just an obliteration. So that's one of my dreams to see the college ball playoff expanded. Again, six teams or eight teams, any of it is better than what we have now. 
And I share the frustration of a lot of you in seeing the same five teams in Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, and Ohio State cycle through the playoffs every year. It's stale. It's boring. We're tired of watching it. But I'll reiterate what I've said before. For all those of you complaining, this system is way better than the old system. Because if college football were still using the BCS, Clemson and Bama would have played for four of the last five national championships. And I know that's kind of happening anyway, but that would be even more stale and boring. I mean, as it is, they played for three of the last five, and both only lost in the semis once. And I know we're all sick of them, but they're not going anywhere. However, it's time for the committee to at least give fans some hope by inviting other teams to the table. We'll still piss and moan while we argue about who the 8th, ninth, and 10th place teams are that are going to end up getting stomped by the number one seed anyway. But at the end of the day, fans want their team to be in the discussion. We want our team to be included. And until that happens, we will continue our annual holiday tradition of pissing all over the final college of all playoff rankings. That's it for today. This is Dave Bethay with the Title Run Sports Podcast. Thank you for listening.